fans and fighters alike complain when a loser gives an excuse for their loss. Even though we want an explanation. Giving anything besides they were just better than me tonight, though, usually results in eye rolls and ridicule. But sometimes an excuse is so outlandish, so absurd, it just gives you a good chuckle. These aren't your standard, I had a rough camp, my weight cut didn't go well, the judges screwed me excuses. This is the wild stuff. The kind of reasons you can only laugh at. And that's what we're gonna do today. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and great goodness, Crypto.com is back. That's right, the world's fastest growing crypto app and official sponsor of MMA On Point is here to help you start your journey into crypto. Join us using the link crypto.com slash app slash MMA on point for a $25 crow deposit upon sign up and after reserving a metal visa card, start trading and withdraw. More on that later, but for now, here are the 10 most hilarious excuses for losses. Number 10, Giant Nate Diaz. The good thing about exaggerating the size of your opponent is that when you beat them in the rematch, your complaint now turns into a boast. Dana White and Conor McGregor pretty consistently throughout the Nate Diaz saga that spanned from UFC 196 to UFC 205 in 2016 suggested that Diaz was much larger than Conor. Now, of course, objectively, that was true. He's definitely taller and longer. And yes, the fights were fought at welterweight, which was McGregor's choice in the second bout. But how much bigger was Nate in terms of weight? Conor was coming up from featherweight and the bout was a short notice switch from 155 pounds, but we all know pretty well the Notorious was cutting massive amounts to make 145. And if Nate had, say, 15 pounds on him, it's certainly a size difference, but that would be a generous number for their first encounter. It's nowhere near the mythologizing that was done over time. In a media interview leading up to UFC 205, Connor said, quote, I ain't had a five-man war against a guy two times the size of me. So we've gone from simply bigger to now triple the human. Nate was 17 foot three and 510 pounds. No wonder he was able to utilize his sumo skills. It's called wrestling, sumo style wrestling. Whether Connor meant three weight classes up or not, the outlandish quote has been endlessly memed ever since, and it sits alongside My foot was a balloon. My foot was a balloon. As some of the most hilarious excuses the Notorious has made for struggling in his fights. Number nine, Machida ran. On the list we did of most ridiculous excuses, Tito Ortiz took top honors with the broken skull he claimed to have walked into the octagon with against Forrest Griffin at UFC 106. And while that's hilarious and was never mentioned in the medicals post-fight by the commission, there's always more Tito madness to go around. He was face down ass up and it wasn't my girlfriend. Like his repeated claims that Lyoto Machida ran from him in their bout at UFC 84 back in March of 2008. This was, if you recall, to be Ortiz's final UFC bout. He and Dana were just about plotting murder against each other at that point. We're not trying to, you know, put on a WWE show. It's very real. That's why there's and cops on each side, as you can see. So I don't care to say so. And Tito was going to try his hand elsewhere and in Hollywood. The three-round bout would see Machida victorious 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards. While gracious in defeat directly afterwards, Ortiz would change the narrative over time to the draft and running away from him for the entire 15 minutes. I was running. The problem with that is that it's not what happened. Sure, Machida doesn't just stand directly in front of his opponent so they can punch him in the face until he's unconscious. But to say he ran the whole fight would completely dismiss the 67 of 87 strikes landed, the knockdown that Lyoto scored, the two escaped submission attempts, and three minutes of control time. On the other side of the stat sheet, Tito was unsuccessful on all seven of his takedown attempts, and while he threw just about as much as Machida, he landed about half. I guess all that equates to running in the fact fascinating mind of the former mayor pro tem of Huntington Beach, California. Number eight, alcohol and cigarettes. Referees are regularly targets of fighters complaining about a stoppage they felt was too early or a lack of enforcing the rules. Against their opponents, of course. I never hear fighters complaining that the referee let them get away with too much. But it's pretty rare for a fighter to suggest that a referee was impaired. Leave it to Dominic Cruz, though, the legendary fighter turned commentator who has no brain to mouth filter whatsoever. When it comes to DC, you know, I, I usually mute it. 
to suggest that Keith Peterson was under the influence when he called the Dominator's Bantamweight title challenge against Henry Cejudo at UFC 249. Cruz came into the bout following a three-year layoff and in the second got dropped with a knee and finished while attempting to recover. At best, you could say it was slightly early. At worst, you could say what did you expect after taking 13 completely unanswered and undefended strikes to the head following a big knockdown. The former champion immediately protested the stoppage in his post-fight interview, hilariously stating that he specifically told the referee to let him go until he was knocked out because that's a thing you can do. You can tell the referee to not stop a fight like normal. Cruz went even further backstage saying that Peterson smelled like alcohol and cigarettes. My experience of him was smelling like he had been out all night the night before, like cigarettes and alcohol and that he wished referees were tested like fighters. The hilarious excuse spawned the K. Peterson UFC parody Twitter account among a whole host of memes related to the referee. Dom took another shot indirectly at UFC 269 following his come-from-behind win against Pedro Munoz, praising the referee for actually giving him an opportunity to recover after he'd been knocked down. Nobody holds a grudge like Dominic Cruz. Number 7. Complete Denial It's one thing to make excuses for your loss, it's something else entirely to flat-out deny that the loss even occurred. Permanent prospect Sean O'Malley came into to his bout with Cheeto Vera at UFC 252 undefeated, and if you ask him, he left undefeated as well. It's the state of Nevada that begs to differ. Early in the fight, the Sugar Show was hit with a calf kick to the right leg that would do a number on the nerve, causing O'Malley to repeatedly roll his ankle, firing up that foot injury he got back in 2016, leaving the Glendale fighter with a single wheel, and as a result, he would be TKO'd at 440 of the very first. Sean took to his YouTube channel afterwards to say that he was mentally undefeated still. Take a loss like a man and went on to dismiss the abilities of Vera, something he would reiterate on his podcast as well. It sucks for me because I'm like, God, I lost to someone who I look at is not very good. According to O'Malley, a single calf kick doesn't give you foot drop, and it was only Cheeto's big toe that connected aggravating the nerve. His logic being, since he claims he missed the kick and it was just the toe that messed up his leg, which in turn aggravated his old injury, starting into motion the sequence of events that would lead to his being TKO'd, Vera did nothing in terms of his own skills and abilities to defeat him, therefore the Sugar Show rolls on unbeaten. If your foot wasn't broken was the stretcher for your ego. He also talked about how his ankle wraps were too tight and that he had them loosened right before the bout. Not entirely sure how that relates. Anyway, calf kick finishes aren't real and Connor only counts knockouts as wins or losses. Number six, gummy bears. All right, I gotta say, I actually get this one. Gummy bears are just the best thing ever. They're made of 200% sugar. They're this fruitacular wave of diabetic neuropathy in every single bite. You can't replicate that with foods that won't kill you if you eat them every day. Chris Lieben looked noticeably not Chris Lieben in his loss to Brian Stan at UFC 25 on New Year's Day 2011. It took Mr. America all of 3 minutes 37 seconds to TKO the damn near unkillable Crippler. It was only the second TKO loss of the fighter's career, the first coming at the knees of Anderson Silva five years previous. Following the fight, Lieben's coach offered an explanation to the media that his fighter was sick, battling a fever backstage, not even able to sweat in his warm-ups, puking in the locker room right before his walkout. A totally understandable reason for a fighter to have an off night. Nobody would even question the effort of a guy like Lieben anyway, and so with a pretty satisfactory answer to why he looked like he did, everybody went on with their lives. It was Chris who would volunteer a different account prior to his bout with Vanderlei Silva at UFC 132. Lieben said, quote, I ate a bunch of candy, dude. I'm not lying. I didn't eat sugar for two months. And then after I made weight, I went and bought gummy bears. So I was backstage shitting and puking. That's not a lie. That's the truth. Brian Stan fought an amazing fight. No gummy bears for me this fight. A lesson learned by Lieben for all of us. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. My friendship with Abed is a giant cookie. Number five, lactic acidosis. If you've watched A Few Good Men 8,300 times like I have, you know that lactic acidosis was the cause of death for PFC William T. Santiago. 
Who the fuck is PFC William T. Santiago? The catalyst for the entire film's plot. It is also, according to Shane Carwin, why he was defeated by heavyweight champion Brock Lesnar at UFC 116. If you recall, Carwin had the champ on the ropes in the first round, but couldn't get the finish despite a sustained barrage and gassed, resulting in an arm triangle loss in the next round. Now, lactic acidosis is a medical condition where excessive lactic acid accumulates in the body, and there are two ways of getting it. You either have some underlying medical condition that may cause it regularly to occur, or you just overexerted yourself and you weren't breathing as well. Alright, so where's the punchline, Tommy? Where's this get funny? You're telling me that Carwin had a huge buildup of lactic acid after throwing 106 punches at Brock Lesnar's giant head in less than five minutes. Of course he would be gassed after something like that. And that's exactly the point. No shit a giant muscled-up civil engineer throwing a ridiculous amount of punches in a short time is going to get tired. What's funny about this is that Carwin treated it as if he had some sort of underlying medical condition that was the cause, seeking advice on social media and the underground forums about potential treatments. I think the treatment is probably not throwing 100-plus punches in just a few minutes' time at Brock Lesnar's massive face. That might have been the underlying cause. Shane seems like a pretty healthy dude. I don't know if he could read more into getting gassed than the limitations of human existence. Number four, the devil. Okay, so to be fair to the devil here, he wasn't directly involved in this one, or at least I don't think he was. It had more to do with avoiding his presence that created a tough situation for Rampage Jackson in his middleweight title fight against Vanderlei Silva at Pride 28 in 2004. The two had previously met in the finals of the 2003 Middleweight Grand Prix with Silva coming out on top. Their second fight was highly anticipated, and while Page fought hard in the first, he struggled noticeably in the second, eventually getting brutally KO'd by the champ. Jackson would explain his performance by revealing that he didn't eat anything for three days leading up to the fight. Rampage had become a born-again Christian right before the bout, after he says Jesus came to him in a dream. As a result, he would remain celibate for the entire camp, and upon reading online that fasting kept the devil away, decided that for three days prior to the bout, he would only consume water. Page admitted that the timing was bad, and as a result, he wasn't in his best form come fight night. He understood that he should have waited until after the fight, but everything was so new to him at the time, and he wasn't quite sure how it would affect him. Interestingly, four years later, when Jackson was arrested after leading the police on a high-speed chase, Dana White would mention that Rampage was on a three-day fast and had only consumed water and energy drinks. Gotta give the devil his due on that one. Bottoms up. And the devil laughs. Number three, too much wine. If there's one thing I can say about using alcohol to get some rest the night before a fight, it's that it's at least not going to get you flagged by the athletic commission afterwards. Of course, that doesn't mean it doesn't have its own unique problems as a sleep aid. You know, like a massive hangover or alcohol poisoning. Paulo Costa's title challenge against Israel Adesanya at UFC 253 was one of the most hyped up middleweight fights in a long time. People were so jacked to see how this one would play out. Izzy with his flash and finesse. Costa with his brute force, barreling through his opponents like the juggernaut bitch. What we got in the fight was absolutely shocking. Paulo was frozen like Walt Disney. He seemed completely off, as if he couldn't even find a way to engage with the champion. Adesanya would end the fight in the second with a barrage of punches and elbows following a knockdown. So, what happened? Did Costa cave under the pressure of the moment? Was Adesanya so good that Paulo couldn't implement his game plan? Well, according to Borchinia, six months later on his YouTube channel, you can blame it on the alcohol. Costa explained in his native Portuguese that he was having trouble sleeping the night before the fight due to severe leg cramps. And so, with only two and a half hours until he would need to get up, and six and a half hours until his actual fight, Paulo decided to drink an entire bottle of wine. Why an entire bottle? Because it wasn't working, duh. Something happened before the fight. I'm not excused here to my, my people, my fans, but I will be... 
as a result, Costa said he was about 20% on fight night. I actually believe every word of what he said, but that doesn't make it any less hilarious. Number two, Canadian conspiracy. When Nick Diaz flew into Montreal to challenge George St. Pierre for the welterweight title at UFC 158, he didn't know he was going to have to fight the whole of Canada to win as well. Everybody was conspiring against him. Diaz's biggest qualm came as a result of the commission in Quebec allowing for St. Pierre to weigh in over the title limit of 170, so long as it didn't exceed a pound. Nick even posted a secret video of a UFC executive explaining the allowance. This would be the only formal complaint that Diaz would make about the fight, although it was thrown out as the commission had always rounded down decimals when recording fighters' weights. But things didn't end there. Nick's team would also post pictures of GSP's raps on social media and said that they looked suspicious, implying that they'd been altered in some way and that they wouldn't let his team check them again. Then years later, the most bizarre claim, Diaz would accuse an unnamed party of poisoning his IV after weigh-ins, resulting in him sleeping for 14 hours straight. Maybe whoever poisoned him should have helped out Costa. Nick said he felt uncharacteristically sluggish the next day following his long nap, despite being in tremendous shape, and as a result would lose via unanimous decision. While Diaz never claimed it was GSP sabotaging him directly, he was more than a bit leery of any other parties who had access to both of them prior to the cage doors closing. St. Pierre would mock confess to the dirty deeds on Joe Rogan's podcast. Number one, cage side psychics. This one is so insane. The person who said it categorically denies that he said it, which if true, makes me wonder why on earth the reporter would make up possibly the craziest shit I have ever heard in my life for seemingly no reason. While the first round of Fedor Emelianenko's fight with Bigfoot Silva was competitive, in the second, the Brazilian would batter the last emperor, resulting in a nasty eye injury that would force a doctor's stoppage. Emelianenko's Sambo coach, Vlad Voronov, according to Russian outlet Life Sports, gave a unique explanation for Fedor's performance. Black magic psychics, several of them in the crowd, draining Fedor of his essence and transferring it over to Silva. Part of the translated quote explains, certain technologies might have been used, not ones that would be visible to the open eye. Psychological techniques that influenced both fighters from the distance of the crowd. My tiny little nipples went to France. For this reason, Fedor simply wasn't himself during the fight. Now, Voronov doesn't deny he gave an interview. He says a boy walked up to him at the airport and asked what happened to Fedor, and he said he wasn't feeling himself during the fight. He doesn't know where this psychic narrative comes from. So one of two things is happening here. Either he's not telling the truth about the interview because he's embarrassed, or some random sports reporter from Russia decided to come up with some Harry Potter-level shit. It's like Snape countering Harry's broom jinx from the crowd during the fucking Gryffindor-Slytherin Quidditch match. Whatever the hell happened on that night, I can almost guarantee it wasn't psychics, because Fedor is a dark-type Pokemon, so he's immune to psychic attacks. Everybody knows that. Just wanted to say a big thank you to Crypto.com, official sponsor of MMA On Point. We were incredibly stoked for the world's fastest-growing crypto app to be helping us create the content we love and guide us through the expanding world of cryptocurrencies. If you'd like to join us, you can use the link crypto.com slash app slash MMA on point for a $25 crow deposit upon sign up. And after reserving a metal visa card, start trading and withdraw. This will allow you to buy and sell crypto at true cost and trade with confidence on the world's fastest and most secure crypto exchange. Big ol' shout out to my dude Luke Taylor for editing this video together. You can find him and his awesome digital art on Twitter at cool to me underscore. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.